we got Urban Meyer, 7-0 against Michigan. He's going to join us at 940. Did you know that now billionaire old white guys, that's right, billionaire old white guys are being discriminated against here in the great city of Indiana or the state of Indiana in the great city of Carmel, Indiana. It is amazing. Tom Brady, he no likey. The NFL, and I am with him. It's rivalry weekend, and I am dressed to the nines. Stay right here as Don't At Me starts right now. Hey, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I actually see that old guy face. Old guys do this. That's what I just gave you. I just gave you old guy face. Oh, man, I'm so sorry you had to see that this morning. What a night in college basketball. But first, it's the big game, ladies and gentlemen. It's the big weekend. I mean, rivalries all around. Auburn, who, by the way, just lost to New Mexico State, takes on Alabama, who, in my opinion, should be one of the top four teams in the college football playoffs. They're not going to be, or unless they beat Georgia. And they shouldn't be unless they beat Georgia. But right now, if you went by who's playing who, the big one of the weekend, of course, is Indiana and Purdue. You all know this. Indiana's a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Some give them three-and-a-half at Purdue. That is a monster. But let's go to the little one. The little one is Ohio State and Michigan. Now, very simply, here's the deal. Yes, Harbaugh does not like Day. Yes, Day does not like Harbaugh. And more than that, They just don't respect one another. I don't know whether Harbaugh respects Day, but his comment a few years ago how he was born on third base, meaning he took over a great job left to him by Urban Meyer, who joins us at 940, that was a disrespectful comment. Now, Harbaugh, of course, Day was then asked about Harbaugh, and he didn't like him either. Let's go right to it. Let's go to Day on Harbaugh. Look, you got to understand something. Ryan Day, absolutely, this is not me projecting, this is a fact, knows what Ohio, or excuse me, Michigan has been doing. He absolutely knows. Yes, he knows 1,000%. Let's hear from Ryan Day real quick here. Similar to Clay's question, this rivalry's been heated for over 100 years. It's very intense, but there's always been respect among players, or between players, it seems like. Does that hold true for coaches? Do you, do you respect Jim Harbaugh and his staff, or what's the what's the feel there? Yeah, I think, you know, with everything going on and the things, you know, that are out there, we just kind of stayed away from all the distractions we have, you know, and just focused on our team. And, and I think our guys have done a good job of it. You know, I think, um, you know, when you talk to our guys, you know, I have talked to them a couple of times about, you know, what's going on this season and, and um, you know, going into the game. But, you know, they're, they're focused on this this game. They're focused on the season. They're focused on their preparation. And and we're just going to continue on that. Yeah, you know, he's not going to he's not going to answer that. And he shouldn't answer that. Uh, the thing he should say is, look, our ball's a cheat. We got the goods on him. We'll see what happens down the road with not only the Big Ten, but the NCAA. I can't stand it. But you can't really do that. Although I don't really know why you can't do that. I honestly don't. Uh, You probably could do that. All right, this is what they said is in response to what Jim Harbaugh said earlier in the week. Here it is. Jim, this rivalry has always uh, been heated, of course. Um, It seems like there's always been a a fairer level of respect between the coaches. Um, 
It's hard to determine what that is right now. What would you say is your respect level for Ryan Day and, and their staff? Um, it's, uh, it's all about our preparation for Ohio. Um, you know, the days, the minutes, the hours, everything leading up to this game, um, you know, that's where our focus is. Preparing ourselves and planning, gonna practice and then execute. So, uh, I mean, anything else is irrelevant, um, you know, when you get into this kind of this kind of big game week. Yeah, he's absolutely right. I mean, look, it's the same question, probably asked by the same guy, but he's absolutely right. What are you going to do? Seriously. Uh, he is right, though, and let's think about this. We can talk about coaches. We can talk about assistant coaches. We can talk about suspensions, whatever the hell you want to talk about, but the fact of the matter is it all goes away. And every day, both of these guys, Day, his staff, Harbaugh, his staff, they're just working like crazy to beat the other because they know what's on the line here. Let's go with what's on the line. Well, both teams are playing for the college football playoff. They just are. Urban put it out there yesterday when Fox analysts were asked who's going to be in the college football playoffs, he said the one seed's either going to be Ohio State or Michigan. Now, I don't know if I agree with that or disagree with that. If Georgia runs a table, I'm probably going to say Georgia is the number one seed, but I get the point. I mean, if two beats three, you got to bump up two or three, whoever wins, to the one spot. You just do, and then you're going to roll over probably Iowa in the Big Ten title game. And that's really what matters here. Now, that's what's on the table for both. But let's talk about the coaches. Harbaugh's sitting here, and people are saying, well, you know what? You got your brains beat out. You're 2-5 and five against Ohio State. You've won the last two, but that was only when you knew the other team's signals. If they win, it all does not matter. If they win, it's going to be, hey, we didn't need to know your signals to whip your ass. We didn't need any outside help. We didn't need to cheat. We got you on the field, and we beat you. Period. And then you get ready for the Big Ten title game after you have about, oh, I don't know, about a week's worth of celebration, and then you get ready and you go. That's what's at it for Michigan. Here's what's about for Ryan Day. Look, you're 0-2. Now, Harbaugh backed out. Michigan backed out in 2020. They made up, oh, we got too much COVID. We can't do it. Okay, that's fine. You had a bad team. Day had a good team. Hell, you lost to Indiana. Okay. All right, but you're 0-2. Ryan Day. Now, this makes this the sweatiest game ever, 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 including any other Ohio State game. And I'll tell you from this standpoint, you cannot lose to a cheating assistant coach. That's right. Sharon Moore, the assistant coach who is the interim head coach at Michigan, was suspended a game for cheating. You're the Ohio State coach. Look, we'll forgive you if you lose to Bo Schembechler. We'll forgive you if you lose, I guess, to Lloyd Carr, but we ain't going to forgive you if you lose your third in a row to an interim head coach that somehow, someway Michigan deemed it right, smart, diverse, to hire or put in charge as an interim head coach, a guy who was suspended for cheating earlier in the year, along with the head coach Harbaugh, who was suspended with him. It's the damnedest thing I've ever heard. I became the interim head coach at Indiana basketball because everybody else on staff was implicated in Calvin Sampson's ridiculous cheating schemes. And I got there after it started, so I wasn't implicated in none of it. But I got to tell you, you think the Ohio State people are mad. Wait till if they get beat and Ryan Day gets beat 
by a damn interim head coach. And it does not matter, well, maybe a little bit, if you get beat by one on a late field goal or if you get beat by double digits if you're Ryan Day. I sweated a game against Finley, Ohio, more than any game I ever sweated while being the head coach at Bowling Green. Why? Finley was a Division II team and a really good one. Finley was 20 minutes up the road from Bowling Green. They came to Bowling Green. I can't lose to a Division II school that's 10 minutes up the road and convince our fans that they should come to our game. Thank God we won. Guy asked me after, you're really uptight. I go, yeah. Can't lose to a team like Finley. Can't lose to an interim head coach. Obviously, the rivalry is a little bit bigger than Bowling Green Finley, but the point remains the same. You're sweating a game no matter what if you're Ryan Day. You're bigly sweating the Michigan game, but... You ain't sweating it like this, even though the dude has only lost two Big Ten games in his entire coaching career at Ohio State. People are going to want him fired. It's unfair. It won't happen, I don't think. But that's at stake. That's what we got in this game. And I got to tell you, my fatas is going to be sitting right here. I ain't moving. I may wear an Ohio State shirt. Because I feel invested. I don't want the cheats to win. I just don't. And I ain't mad at Tom Brady. I ain't mad at Tom Brady at all. I'm sorry. I ain't mad at Rex Ryan. I'm not mad at Rex Ryan at all, except I don't know if he should do this. But Rex Ryan, who I like listening to, I first caught wind of Rex Ryan when I was driving, I don't know if I was recruiting. I don't know what I was doing. Maybe I was recruiting or maybe I was just driving to do games for ESPN. But on drives, he would come on a show. Maybe it was Rome. I don't know. But I always liked when he came on, when he was the coach of the Jets, because he had interesting stuff to say. He was fascinating. He didn't care. He was going after Belichick. He was going after his own players. He was going after whoever was in his way. And I loved it. He was a bit like his dad. Although his dad was more country, more farmer, the great Buddy Ryan, the author of the 46 defense in Chicago, the greatest defense to ever play in the NFL in 1985. I digress. And Rex and his brother Rob used to steal beers. They used to steal beers out of the locker room in Soldier Stadium as little kids. Good for Rex. I can get down with that. I didn't drink as a little kid. I didn't need to steal beers. But hey, I was up for hijinks. You want to spray the school mascot on the other school? I'm down with that. You want to steal a bunch of political signs, put them in a friend's yard? I'm your guy. Toilet paper house? Hello, Dr. D. I'm in on all of it. Tried to steal a bear one time from out in front of a restaurant until we started trying to move it, and the bear was like 6,000 pounds. I digress. But anyway, I've always liked Rob, or excuse me, Rex Ryan. Now, Rex Ryan is absolutely going bat blank crazy on Los Angeles Chargers coach Brandon Staley. Rex Ryan thinks like me. I'm watching Brandon Staley talk, and it is such a wimpy, I don't, modern day, I don't even know the right word. I got, I'm like, I couldn't play for that. No, I could not play for that. I couldn't play for that. I'm not playing for that. Are you kidding me? That's crazy right there. I'm not playing for that. Well, Ryan says this. What do I think of that? When Staley got up there after the game and tried to rip a reporter, whatever. He said, I 
think he should go back to Division Three football where he belongs. Look, this guy. Look at his resume, man. I mean, I'm sorry. He spent one year coordinating a team that my wife can coach with Aaron Donald and all those guys. Stop it. I got to tell you, you guys don't like Stephen A. Smith. You don't. A lot of people don't like Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless. But you know what Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless have done? They've allowed people like Rex Ryan, maybe me, to just talk so much noise. You used to hold back a little bit when you were on the NFL Countdown Show, which, oh, by the way, ESPN's in partnership with the NFL. CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, they all hold back. But ESPN, man, they don't hold back. ESPN, because I believe, because Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless opened up that door, guys like Rex Ryan are sprinting right through it. Brandon Staley, he's not wrong. Look, is he wrong to say it? It's not very Christian. Aren't we all just trying to get along? Aren't we all? But he, you know, no, we're not actually. Of course we're not. Rex Ryan has become must-see TV. Look, he just is. But I got to tell you, this one did shock me. I'm not going to lie. And then he went on. And trust me. She'll do a hell of a lot better job talking about his wife than this guy will do. What? What? They're the second highest payroll in the NFL. They're the second worst. Like, this team is atrocious. Like, this team is horse bleep. Man, I don't know. I know that Rex and his wife got a foot fetish thing. And I'm kind of cool with that. But man, oh man. All right, so let's look at Brandon Staley's resume, shall we? He played football at Dayton, which I'm not sure. Dayton used to be a powerhouse. He went 16-5 and as a quarterback at the University of Dayton. He was a grad assistant at Northern Illinois. He was the offensive line and special teams at Division III. St. Thomas, associate head coach, defensive coordinator, Hutchinson Junior College, Kansas, Tennessee, (coughs) graduate assistant, spent three years as a defensive coordinator, secondary coach at John Carroll University in Ohio. Hold on, Division III, hold on. Then he spent time as a defensive coordinator, linebackers coach at James Madison. He was somehow hired by the Bears as their outside linebacker coach. Then he was hired by the Los Angeles Rams, or excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, Denver Broncos under famed coach Vic Fangio. Then somehow, someway, Wade Phillips left the Rams, and this guy became the defensive coordinator of the Rams. Now, give him this. As defensive coordinator, the Rams were first in defensive, giving up points, and first in total yards allowed. Next thing you know, he's the head coach. Next thing you know, here he is. Sometimes bearded, sometimes clean-shaven, but always wimpy. Always. I'm not saying he's a wimp. Not at all. I mean, guys that play football, you coach linebackers, you got to have some ass to you. You got to have some gravitas. You got to have some substance to you. 
But every time I hear him in a press conference, his wimpy style opens himself up, refuses to criticize players, keeps kissing ass. Tom Telesco, who is the general manager, feels like he is the smartest guy in the NFL. Tom Telesco feels like he is the guy that built a great roster. I'm stunned that they have stayed with him, but I'm not as stunned as Rex Ryan accurately saying, go back to Division Three. Although I must tell you, there's really only two Division Three schools that he was at. St. Thomas in Minnesota, which I think is a Division Three power, and John Carroll in Ohio. Look, don't besmirch a guy for going back or being in Division Three, Rex. But I ain't mad at you. What the hell? Hey, uh, Tom Brady ain't wrong. Let me just put it to you this way. Tom Brady is weird. Like, there's nobody in the world that can tell me that Tom Brady is what he seems to be. I mean, women just don't divorce this guy. I mean, women leave this guy. He has kids with him. He leaves... His girlfriend, wife, that Moynihan girl when she's ready to have his son. This other hottie, whatever, Giselle, looks like a dude, kind of. I mean, you guys overrate Giselle. I mean, look, I wouldn't even bring this up. I didn't bring Moynihan and how she looked. But everybody tells me, oh, the most beautiful woman in the world, blah, 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 blah. Come on. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, good-looking woman. Yeah, you know what I mean? Good-looking gal. But come on. But she even dumped him. Seriously, then he's, I don't know, hanging with a card. I don't know. All I know is this. There's some weirdness in Tom Brady. Tom Brady is not what he seems. I wish he was. Uh, But Tom Brady is not wrong on most things football. And he shouldn't be. You know, he played for 672 years. In fact, he might be still playing. I don't know. He might be coming back. Hell, the Jets need a quarterback. But anyway, so here's what Brady decided to do. Brady decided, Giselle Button, hottest woman alive, my ass. That's what my guy Nick said. I'm with you. Hey, I get it. You put a bunch of makeup on, get some extensions in your hair, bring it down low. Ah, stop it. Anyway. (laughs) I don't know, Sack. I don't know how we get away with it, but we do. Uh, He said something I think we're all feeling. And whatever whatever he puts in here, I'm going to say the same about Big Ten basketball. A lot of you are Big Ten fans. Here it is. I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. Put the Big Ten in there in basketball. I don't think the coaching is as good as it was. Big Ten basketball. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. Big Ten basketball, he's talking about the NFL. The rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. He is not wrong. I think the NFL is a very difficult product. I think the NFL is a product in-game that is worse than any other. When you go to an NFL game, you're constantly waiting. The best thing about an NFL game is that the NFL has figured out Shortened half times. College basketball half times are forever. College football half times are forever. But NFL has figured shortened half times. You sit around all the time. The players, I'll never understand 
when you got seven guys in the defensive backfield and you got three to four max running routes, why you play zones that allow for the best player on the other team, like a Travis Kelsey or like a Justin Jefferson when he's playing or a Cooper Cup to get wide open. I'll never understand that. I'll live to be 172. I think the quarterback play is excellent. The receivers with those gloves, that stick is overrated. But everybody's fast, everybody's strong, but nobody plays with any heart. Yes, they do, but wide receivers and running backs have no heart. They run to the sideline like it's their job, and it's a business decision, and I don't get it. You're striving for excellence. Yeah, I don't get it. I know you all get it, but I don't get it. Here's what's really interesting about this. I like what Brady says here. I I look at a lot of players, Ray Lewis, Rodney Harris, and Ronnie Lott, Guys that impacted the game in a certain way. Every hit they would have made now would be a penalty. You hear coaches complaining about their own players being tackled. Why don't they talk to their player about how to protect themselves? We used to work on the fundamentals of those things all the time. Now they're trying to be relegated all the time. He also said something interesting. He said, hey, we're always worried about the guy getting hit being hurt. What about the guy doing the hitting? I'm with Tom Brady on this. Here's why I think the NFL stinks. First, you can't really hit a guy. It is absolutely, and this is probably the first year I thousand percent feel this way. It is now moving itself towards flag football. They are trying to legislate injuries out of an injury prone game and it ain't good for the game. You know, some new sliding hip tackle is going to go out. I don't know. Is the headhunting out of the game good? Sure it is, I guess, for players, but I'm not going to lie to you. I may be the only guy alive, and I stand by it. I don't really care about players' injuries. I, I don't. I know I'm supposed to, but I always feel like a couple things. We live in a free country, and God gave us free will. And if you're that worried about it, don't play. Or if you're that worried about it, play for a little bit, save your damn money, and retire. I mean, if that's your main focus, well, some guys can't do that. Sure they can. I mean, the money they're making even on a rookie deal is life-changing money to 99.9% of the people around. Live with your mom at 21 years old or your dad. Save your money. Live off the meal money. I don't care. But I honestly don't. I mean, I know everybody does. And I know the NFL has an obligation, I suppose. And I'm not even sure the NFL has an obligation. I think the NFL lays it out. Here's our sport. We do everything we can to keep you safe. We got young, bigger, stronger. We got bullet of human beings out there running around trying to hit each other. We got guys taking 150 milligrams of caffeine before they go out there, and who knows what else. Go play. I, I know. I, I know that's not the right thing to say. I know it's not. I know that, you know what, if I said this on a national network, it, people would crush me. But it's how I feel. I don't care. We have free will. We have free choice. You don't want to play, don't play. Simple. You want to play, play. But you, if you don't know the dangers now, you're an idiot. Hell, I knew the dangers back then when I played Pop Warner in eighth grade football. Everybody knows the dangers. Now, NFL play, well, we didn't know the dangers. You hit it from us. Maybe they did. But all these business decisions to me are making my ass sag. They are. And my ass is already halfway down to the back of my knees. But the truth of the matter is, I just don't care. And Tom Brady's right. You can't hit anybody without a penalty. Every play that you watch, you look down in that right down here, the right-hand corner. 
Well, is that a penalty? Does the play stand? Every single play. The other day, you had some woman with a fat ass about two axe handles wide running down the sideline, chugging. Like, Jesus. I looked at this woman, and I'm like, how in the hell did you make it to the NFL? She was African-American and a woman. I mean, let's be honest. It is unbelievable. Couldn't even bother to get her fat ass in shape. Couldn't. Wouldn't. Didn't have to. Just chug along. I agree. I agree with Tom Brady. I do. I think he's absolutely right. The NFL is mediocre all the way across. Every team seems the same. And I'll never understand the coaching of the NFL. I will never understand it at all. But they don't need me. Who needs me? Nobody. And I don't blame them. Uh, The Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal attacks Major League Baseball. For listen to this, playing politics in Georgia. Now, this is the woke section of the show, all right? The woke section of the show is coming right now. So buckle up, because I've had enough. So, you know what? Years ago, the NBA, or excuse me, the Major League All-Star game had to be moved because of election laws were discriminatory. Well, Let me read. This is from the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. What's changed? See, they've moved the All-Star game back to Atlanta. You had a biggin named Stacey Abrams and a coward named Kemp as the governor talk about, well, we can't go back to Jim Crow laws and actually make people vote with an ID, etc. So the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal says, what? What's changed? Not the bulk of the law. The Election Integrity Act. They moved the All-Star Game, because of the Election Integrity Act, which said you had to get your fat ass up off the couch, go get an ID to vote. Now, I'm going to say that again. The Election Integrity Act made Major League Baseball... Now, this was a time when every African-American group or every African-American person could say, hey, we didn't like this, and every white guy shook in his boots and went, oh, my God, we got to do this. We must act. We must appease. All right. That's cool. All right. And we all know it. Now it's like, well, you've used the word racist so much. You've used all these things so much. It's like, uh, really? (laughs) Really? Uh, Sleeping is racist. Oh, okay. Really? Oh, oh, okay. You know, if that's what you're going to tell me. uh, Really? I ran today. Well, you're white supremacist because I went and worked out. Because my fat ass, uh, I I don't know. Listen to this. Here's the Election Integrity Act. Uh, It replaced signature matching requirements on absentee ballots with voter identification. It limited the use of ballot drop boxes. It expanded in-person early voting. Bars officials for sending out unsolicited absentee ballot requests. Reduces the amount of time people have to request an absentee ballot. Increases voting stations or staff and equipment where there have been long lines. Makes it a crime for outside groups to give free food and water to voters waiting in line to solicit votes. It gives the uh, Georgia General Assembly greater control over election administration, shortens runoff election. Oh, my God. It makes your fat ass get up and actually go and vote, it puts limits on absentee ballots, and Rob Manford 
and the sappy white dudes that were so scared of their own shadow because of some bigot named Stacey Adams and some coward named Brian Kemp. Oh, he's, he called, uh, oh my God. Oh my God. It is unbelievable. That's what it was. Three weeks of in-person early voting, two Saturdays, and the option to include Sundays. Oh my God. Oh. Think about how stupid we were a couple of years ago. But anyway, let's give it a read. I'm sorry. Hey, what's changed? What's changed, the Wall Street Journal board asked. Not the bulk of the law. The Election Integrity Act of 2021, which tightened up vote by mail and voter ID. Hey, I can't get my fat ass up to go vote. All right, get an absentee ballot. Yeah, but I want like 10 cent to my house because we got two people here and we need to vote. <sighs> Mr. Manford, at the time, bowed to Democratic Party. This is how elect, I can't say that. And media distortions about the law. Mr. Manford said he'd consider returning the game if he saw some appropriate change. Really? We're supposed to change our election laws because Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball wants to do what now? We ought to have an all-star game, and we're telling you, you can't have an all-star game because of bigging name Abrams and bigging people all across Atlanta can't get their fat ass up and go vote. Beautiful. Mr. Manford said he'd consider returning the game to Atlanta if he saw some appropriate change. Perhaps what he meant is he'd return the game to the Georgia Capitol if it turned out the attacks on the law were specious, which means lessened. Not there. Really? A middle-aged white guy back in 2021 and 20, whatever the hell it was, giving in to clowns. That's all this was giving in to the Democratic clowns. Oh, white guy, bad. All-star game, bad. Hey, why is the all-star game bad? Well, because they're making fat people get off their ass, lazy people get off their ass and go vote. Really? Well, don't they have absentee ballots? Yeah, they got absentee ballots, but they didn't let you hold on to them for like a month, or they didn't let you just send 10 of them to the house. Well, in that way, we've always done things. You know, yeah, it is. Well, what's the problem? Well, Rob Manfred's a scared white guy. <laughs> we should do a show on scared white guy decisions. Man, oh, man. The scared white guy. All right. But it continues from the Wall Street Journal. Man, he's almost clear he's so white. I mean, his hair's white, his shirt's white. The only darker is beady little scared eyes. The league's flip-flop shows how easily big American businesses can be swayed to bend to progressive political panics. Say that again, panics. Oh my God, we're making Democrats get up and vote. No matter the facts, two years later, Mr. Manford may figure this is old news. Exactly right. And that most Georgians will be mollified because the game will soon be in Atlanta. Well, we remember. Well, we remember. And Mr. Manford still owes Georgians a major league Mia Copa. He does? Just say, look, I'm scared white guy. And everybody will go, black people will go, oh, whatever. He, he, man, he understands. <laughs> and white dudes will go, yeah, he understands. White dudes will be like, yeah, you know, great man, great man. 
Just treat everybody the same. Man, he's, he's, he's clear. Anyway, just treat everybody the same. Seriously. Just literally treat everybody the same. I don't care whether you're black. I don't care whether you're white. I don't care whether you're green, purple, or orange. In my house upstairs, the lighting makes you look green. So in our bedroom, my wife will come in and I go, green. And she'll look at me and she'll go, you know, you are green too. Uh, Let's stay with the white, or not the white, could be. Let's stay with the woke portion of our program. So Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon is an American icon. Susan Sarandon is, well, she's just something, right? She's just something. And Susan Sarandon, we're all supposed to genuflect because, well, Susan Sarandon is Hollywood royalty. Well, Susan Sarandon was at a pro-Palestine rally in New York City on November 17th. Susan Sarandon called for protesters to listen and have conversations with Jewish Americans. As many have said, they didn't feel safe because of the rise in anti-Semitism. There's a lot of people that are afraid, that are afraid of being Jewish at this time, and they're getting a taste of what it feels like being Muslim in this country, so often subjected to violence. Okay. Well, her agency dropped them. UTA, United Talent Agency, said, yeah, why do we need that? Look, your point is well. Your point is great. Your point is, hey, how about we have conversations? How about we slow down? But why you got to do that? Why you got to compare it to being Muslims? Why would you do that? You know, and I don't know if these are the worst anti-Jewish comments that are out there. There's certainly been worse. But why would you do that? I mean, seriously. How about just saying this? At a pro-Palestine rally, Susan Sarandon said, there are people that are afraid, that are afraid of being Jewish at this time. And we need to help them. They are getting a taste of what it's like to be a Muslim in this country. It's so stupid. It's so idiotic. It's so ridiculous. All you got to do is say there are a lot of people in the Jewish community that are afraid. Let's discuss. Let's help them. I mean, you're not making yourself super whitey by comparing Jewish people to Muslim. Why do people need to be compared? What's going on is going on. Period. That's it. Jewish people are under attack. 1,400 of them were slaughtered. Slaughtered. The biggest, ladies and gentlemen, the biggest slaughtering of Jewish folks since the Holocaust. And if you go per capita, many, many, many times bigger than the slaughter of Americans in the 9-11 bombings. That's how big this was in Israel. That's how big this was. Understand that. And it was slaughter. Nothing short of slaughter. And it's carried over to the United States with anti-Semitism at an all-time high. I don't need to compare that to Muslims. I don't need to compare that to anybody. That stands alone. Period. But Super Whitey here has to make sure that she's down for all the causes, except for the one that she's actually talking about. It's idiotic. It's asinine. And I'm glad she's too old now to look like that, take off three quarters of her clothes, seduce Kevin Costner. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad she's done. 
Once again, Hollywood is evil. You know who paid a lot of these people? I'm reading a book on CAA, Creative Artists Agency. David uh, Ovitz, Orvitz, Michael Orvitz, excuse me. You know who paid most of these Hollywood people? You know who made most of these Hollywood people? Jewish folks. I mean, you read that book, and this creative artist, David Orvitz, whether you liked him or, or Michael Orvitz, I don't like to call him David, David Ortiz, I guess. Michael Orvitz, Michael Eisner, all of these guys are Jewish. Like, Hollywood stars like Susan Sarandon ought to get out the knee pads for Jewish folks instead of the hatchet. I mean, she's ridiculous. She should bow down to Jewish people. It's unbelievable when you read this book. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. But these Hollywood idiots think it's them. Let me tell you something. If one of these guys that were her agent or head of a, uh, or head of a studio, Jewish men, said, uh-uh, we're not doing it. Sherry Lansing, I believe a Jewish woman, who is the head of Paramount Studios. I met Sherry. Awesome lady. If these people didn't go out of their way for this woman, You'd never heard of her. How does she repay? By just being awful. It is amazing to me. It is absolutely amazing to me how these people are such idiots. I don't understand how folks in Hollywood, the people that run these places, the Jewish men and women that run these places, tolerate and good for UTA for telling you kick rocks. Now, is this the worst thing she's... No. No, people are doing much more heinous things. Like, I believe this. When that kid got surrounded at Harvard in the courtyard, Harvard Yard, by a bunch of pro-Hamas, pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine Harvard students and got surrounded by blankets and basically kidnapped in broad daylight in Harvard Square, Harvard Yard, whatever the hell you call it, frightening as hell. People that did that should go to jail to at least learn to be human beings. It's real. Slaughter of Jews in Israel, unbelievable. The idiots in America supporting it, more unbelievable. If that's possible, not sure that it is. Urban Meyer, three-time national champ, 7-0, basically Jim Harbaugh's daddy, joins us coming up in a couple minutes. Be right here. Stay right here. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You know, on this show, uh, I've said forever, I hate cheats. And, you know, I, I look, my kid went to Michigan. I paid a lot of money to Michigan. He had an unbelievable experience with John Beeline, Duncan Robinson, Movac. He had great friends. And he went to Ohio State for a year. Same thing. 
I, mean, I got nothing against nobody. People think I hate Indiana. I'm 40 years from playing in Indiana. I don't hate nothing. But you know what? Life does move on. You get a family. But the basis of me is I just hate cheats. I, I do. And that's who I am. That's who I'll always be. And I've stood up for it. It cost me millions of dollars going to West Virginia. It's literally that simple. Ohio State takes on Michigan. People, I don't give a damn about Jim Harbaugh one way or the other. I just hate cheats. That's as simple as I can make it. Urban Meyer went 7-0. 7-0. and as the head football coach at The Ohio State University against Michigan. I want to say that again. 7-0, and won three national championships. You know, I was thinking about you the other day. So here's this week. Here's all this going on. And you just get to sit back. Day's, Day's got to be sweating it because you can't lose to Ohio State or uh, Michigan. They got an interim coach. Harbaugh's sweating. And you're just sitting there 7-0 and forever. Never going to change that. How about that? Yeah, you can never change that. And people have asked me over the years, what's, you know, of all the cool things that uh, our staff and players have done, you know, that one, because I grew up in the rivalry, you know, last night I had some people over and we watched a documentary on the rivalry game. And, you know, I, I you, know, we, you know, we had a couple of cocktails, we were sitting there watching it. And I, you know, they started talking. I say, listen, I'm going to test you on this documentary here in about a half hour so you better your ass better pay attention to this and it was uh you know the 10-year war with when they hired Bo Schembechler in 1969 that was after the Buckeyes won the national title and they upset I think it was a 14 15 point favorite and they upset them so this robbery is so special so you know I've known it my entire life and uh it's going to be a monster this weekend Yeah, I want to get into this weekend, but before we do that, I've said this on the air. I've said the greatest segment for college football fans would be if you and Rob Stone, you know, just explain to people why, from from a coach's perspective, not a fan's perspective, from a coach's perspective, Urban, why is the sign stealing, alleged sign stealing, why is that significant? in a game, maybe in preparation. Why is that so significant to coaches? Uh, you know, it's amazing. I don't know if anyone's really asked that. You know, and so I'm going to thank you that you did. So the, there's a couple things that can change the game. And if the defensive line knows its pass, that's a game changer. Because the offensive line, you know, like, like say, for example, that it's a play-action pass. The defensive line, if they know it's passed, they'll go right by you because you're expecting the defensive line to play run. So that's number one. If the, if the defense knows run or pass, is that an advantage? It's a huge advantage. The second thing on offense or the second thing on defense, if they know it's a screen, then, and, and I guess there's some videotape of that where it looked like they knew, but if they know it's a screen. So once again, if the defense knows it's a run or pass, and if they know it's a screen, huge advantage. On offense, if the offensive staff knows that it's a field pressure, a boundary pressure, or a blitz, you know, just a pressure, that's a huge difference. You know, they or they know it's coverage. If they can know it's cover two, they'll run the ball. If they know it's some type of pressure or cover one, they're going to uh, uh, pass the ball. So those are huge advantages. For someone to say that that's nah, not that big a deal, you know, I, I – if it's not that big a deal, why would why do people work so hard to get your signals? 
That's, why would you put your career at risk? Why would you put your reputation at risk is, is, is something that I've said. So let me go back. You know, maybe on a play, okay, there was a play where it showed that Stallions guy calling Ohio, or Michigan was looking at uh, the sideline, Michigan's defense, but Ohio State scored a touchdown. And people say, well, see, it, maybe on a play, you still you, know, you got to stop it, right? Okay, I get that. But we're talking about over the course of an entire football game, the advantage, as per you, per you just now, is massive. It is massive. And, and you know, I, I saw that argument, too. Well, you know, here, uh, I think it's someone on Fox said it. Well, here, look, they knew this. It looks like it, they knew it was pass. They pointing to the ceiling. Pass, pass, pass. And they scored a touchdown. That has nothing to do with it. You know, that has that has nothing to do with it. If, if they received that information illegally against the rules that's that's an unfair advantage that's you know that's just something that's in the in unfair competition which goes back to when you're first playing sports as a little kid so yeah i, I when someone says that dan it you know it's really you can't have much more conversation with a person because they really have no idea what they're talking about right you know, I remember the day, actually. I used to scout in person all the time at Indiana in the 90s and, and 80s when I was a graduate assistant. I would drive all over the country and scout. I remember the day they put that in where it was like 93, but I just I remember where I was when Coach and I came down and said, all right, boys, they just put this in. We're not going to scout in person. I was so freaking happy. Uh, <clears throat> but I also thought, you know what? We're, th- you can get a hell of a lot more scouting in person than you can off of TV. You, you, you can get a hell – you know that. I mean, obviously. You, you can get a hell of a lot more being there in person. Yeah, they don't – they didn't have the technology that you have now. So you get – you know, nowadays you get pretty much everything you need. The only thing you really don't get is there's two things, our, our tempo. So you can't get a feel for how – you try to watch the screen and see how fast you're getting lined up. And so you might call the team that you're playing – so if we're playing, say, Michigan State, and they just got done playing Rutgers, and I know Greg Shadow, I might call him up and say, hey, how fast are they really going? Is this really fast tempo? Now, I remember we played Oregon in the national championship, and I talked to – I can't remember who the coach was, and I said, you know, man, they look – he says, oh, my gosh, this is speed of sound, so you got to change your practices and all that. But that's all gamesmanship. That's all – you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's if you're there videotaping practice or videotaping uh, the sidelines and getting a you know a data sheet full of uh, signs. That's you know, once again, Dan. You remember I at first I refused to comment on it because I thought it was just typical reporter narrative that wasn't true. Because that, like I said, that happens more than I think that it is true. And so I, I dismissed it as like there's no way that they were doing that. Yeah, now you look at it, and it's the greatest place in the country to coach, man. You do all this stuff, and the president, you don't have to comment on this, but the president wants to give you a damn extension. The AD wants to sit there and support you. It's the greatest place in America to be a coach. Last thing on this, and then I want to get into the game. You said on Cowherd yesterday that from what you're hearing, I think I'm quoting you accurately on that, it may be difficult for Harbaugh to even coach next year. Is that what you're hearing? Or what well, Bruce are you? Feldman, Bruce Feldman, who does a heck of a job for us, he's a reporter, and I never want to be a reporter, and I don't, you know, I can't stand that kind of stuff. So I stay away from it. I just listen, and you know, you have, you have two uh, 
investigations going on right now. And I think I heard you say yesterday or a couple of days ago that, you know, the one COVID wasn't about buying a cheeseburger or something like that, which, you know, I don't know where that comes from, but they were recruiting during COVID, you know, which is a serious issue. If they had too many videotapers uh, or too many uh, coaches on the field, that's a serious issue. And what was the third one? If uh, they're videotaping off-season workouts, that's kind of, I heard what the issues were. And then if they weren't forthright with the NCAA, so that's in its own world. And then this one. So according to Bruce, and then I did talk to another reporter, no, this NCAA might come down hard on it. But once again, I, that's, I'm just repeating what I heard. Yeah, no, I get that, and that I've said this, and I've talked to a number of people, and, and what I'm hearing is this is only going to get bigger. Uh, let me get to the game. You know, Lou Holtz famously said that Notre Dame was tougher. Michigan, I, you know, you've been to the last couple games, including the Penn State one. You, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but this is a very physical Michigan team that Ohio State's going to have to match or exceed, no? Oh, they're, they're up front on both sides of the ball, very physical. Uh, I was at the Penn State game. They ran the ball 30 straight times at Penn State, and Penn State has a really good defense. I think one of the reasons they got away with that is because Penn State's ineptness on offense was obvious. I mean, they just couldn't get out of their own way on offense. But very physical, very talented team. Those two running backs, I love that Blake Horn and Donovan Edwards, they're really talented guys. Uh, but they, they're going to – there's no chance that the Wolverines can just line up and run the ball like that in Ohio State. They're going to have to be balanced – uh, McCarthy's had two down days, but he's very talented. Uh, Roman Wilson, the receiver, is their best player on offense, or their best uh, skilled athlete. He's, I hopefully, you know, hopefully he's healthy for them because they'll need him. But th- there, there's no chance they can line up and just try to, you know, I don't. The, the, the more talented teams you face, you just can't do that. You have to be balanced. But to answer your question, very physical, very talented Wolverine team. Is Ohio State a very physical team as well? I think early in the year, the offense line really struggled. As of now, the last three games. Now, the last three games have been against Wisconsin, Michigan State, and and uh, Minnesota. And those three teams aren't what they uh, – Wisconsin down a little bit. Michigan State's a shell of themselves. They're not they're, – they're, I just watched Michigan State play, and I can't believe that's what happened because they used to be so good. And then Minnesota is usually better than they are. So Ohio State's offense line is the most improved position on that team by far. Travion Henderson is running the ball like it's, you know, we joke around it's his contract year. Uh, but he's playing really, really well. That's the best thing that's happened to Kyle McCord is if you have if you have a semblance of balance on your offense, you have a chance to, you know, move the ball against anybody. And they got the best player in the country at uh, – uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. So um, I think their offense of line has become a much more physical. You know, you mentioned McCord. A lot of questions about McCord. So I looked him up. I mean, look, I know McCarthy's really good, but McCarthy hasn't thrown a touchdown. Maybe he hasn't needed to in the month of November. McCord is sitting here, 22 touchdowns, four interceptions. I don't know. I mean, is he a bit overlooked? What do you think of the Ohio State quarterback? I think he is a little overlooked. You know, I think he started off a little slow with first-time starter, and then he, uh, you know, threw a couple passes in the two-minute throw to beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. You know, so he's got that experience. 
he went to Penn State, or they uh, Penn State came to Ohio State, they beat him. So I think he is a little bit overlooked. You know, I think you just kind of they're so used to Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud, Dwayne Haskins that I, I do believe at some point you you'll start talking about McCord in those same names. But I do believe he's a little bit uh, undervalued. The one cool thing is. We'll all know in about, uh, whatever, three days. Because at the end of the game, this is going to make or break both these quarterbacks' careers. Because J.J. obviously beat him twice, but he hasn't had huge games. Uh, Kyle McCord is going to be known, you know, and I, I hate to say this, rightfully so. How does he do against the team up north? You know, you said this. It's so true. Like, you know, you, you said it's not a day thing, a month thing, a year thing. It's like a... It's like a life thing. And, you know, I know you uh, were, you know, miserable, I'm ga- I think, on game days. I was miserable on game days. I couldn't stand game days. And I'm sitting there, and I try to put myself in the coach's position. And, man, I'm sitting there as Ryan Day. I've lost two Big Ten games in my entire career. I mean, I don't give a damn. I know he followed you, and I know you left the program great. But, God dang, that's pretty good. And here's – Harbaugh, but if I'm if I'm Day Irvin, can you explain game day to people on a game like this where it's an interim coach you're against, it's your rival, it's out there? Can you explain the day of a head coach in this game? Do you remember when we were both young and we first started? How and you know enthusiastic and game day was incredible and uh, you know the band, <laughs> the fight song, the, you know running on the field and coaching in a basket on the court. And, and then you get a little older, and you're like, it's miserable. I mean, every mo- every moment. I mean, every people would say, I really don't know if I. Pre-. Obviously, you, you you have to breathe or you'd pass out. I don't. There's there's times in the game I couldn't. I can't remember because it's the intensity is beyond belief. So for Coach Day and Coach Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh's two and five against the Buckeyes. I think Coach Day is one and two, so this is a huge game for both these guys. And uh, yeah, but you know, I tried for the I, for the viewer that says, ahead. "Man, that's must that must be a lot of fun to coach in that game." No, no. <laughs> Hell, I started watching Maury Povich and uh, Springer on game days just to get my just to be like, man, oh man, this is this is insane. Hey, last thing, um, it, in your mind. Is it possible, regardless who wins, regardless for both of these teams to make it into the college football playoff? Can the loser get in? Uh, I think it'd have to be a very close game, and some other things would have to happen. You know, Oregon right now, to me, is the best one-loss team in the country. They're really good. You know, Texas is really good, and Texas beat Alabama. And Alabama's starting to hit in all cylinders. So, you know, some things would have to go right. Um you know, I'd say if it's a close game, there's a chance. If it's not, the team that loses has no chance. Let me ask you, I, I've never really asked you this before. I, I've seen two things this year. One disturbed me, and I, I swear I'm seeing this. I'm seeing kids, I don't know, and I'm not going to say quit, but I don't think I've seen a lot of effort out of some teams that are supposed to be good that the season has gone away and now they're not going to get into things. And 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 the other thing, that I've seen, and you just mentioned it, is these teams are really coming on. Alabama, I think, is terrific. I think this Milrow kid is one of the best running quarterbacks I've seen. He's so quick. Uh, are you a proponent 
of a bigger playoff. I've never asked you, are, are you 8, 12, keeping it 4? Where are you with the college football playoff size? Yeah, it's a reality of that, and I felt it at Ohio State. You know, we, we were one of the first teams that the players decided to, you know, step out of a bowl game. And I remember Denzel Ward, who I love Denzel, great player, great kid, and he decided not to play in a cotton bowl. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, he's a first-round draft pick. So I think there's going to – you have to go to 12 teams because when we first started coaching, going to a bowl game was everything. That's not the case anymore. When you go to one of these – tradition rich places and high expectation places anything other than a playoff and you're a failure yeah i know and i i I assume that's like your limo ready to take you to the pickleball court and then maybe you head over to the to the course for a quick uh 18 and then the limo takes you over and then you get you know wherever you're going for thanksgiving i heard the doorbell i assume that's that's what we got going on today i don't know (laughs) Maybe Something not. like that. I am flying to Ohio for, uh, yeah. how about this, Dan? Four grandkids, three kids, and three spouses all for Thanksgiving. Hey, that's awesome. So it really is. Tell your family I said hello, my friend. I'll see you in a couple weeks. I can't thank you enough for coming on. I know you're swamped, man. Thanks. Happy Thanksgiving, Dan. Take care. Same to you. Tell the whole family that. Great kids, man. Nick, man, Nikki, Gigi, Nick. Nick, Nate, Jesus. And Nate's got a great wife now. I mean, I remember meeting them a few years ago. Gigi and Andrew used to have sleepovers. That's right. Don't give me no crap either, people. I used to call Shelly Meyer. I go, hey, look, your daughter's sleeping with my son. I don't know. They're seven. I don't know what to do here. And Shelly's like, shut up, Dan, you perv. They're fine. Quit being an idiot. I'm like, all right. I'm like, all right. It was great. It was awesome, and, and Urban's kids are fantastic, man. Great family, fantastic, fantastic family. Can't thank Urban enough uh, for coming on, man. But anyway, all right, we're going to come back. Hey, see you soon. See you in a couple weeks, my brother. The great Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh's daddy, just joined us. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. He was named, this is going to sound, I'm going to sound like the guy on the uh, Nathan's hot dog eating contest. He was named after a Greek warrior king hero of Sparta, portrayed by Gerald Butler in the movie 300. He is Leonidas, a.k.a. (laughs) I can't even do it with a serious face. I'm sorry. Uh, A.k.a. Nate Ebner joins us, former Ohio State Buckeye, three-time Super Bowl champ. With the New England Patriots, Warrior King. That's a hey, look. Uh, my kids call me a big bag of goo. So being named after a Warrior King, that's pretty good, man. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I like the intro. I can't say I've had that one before, but you know what? I was at Ohio State at the right time when that movie Three Hundred came out, so it works. It's a good one. It does work. Hey, uh, not only did you play football, you were a rugby guy, and. One of, actually, one of the toughest human beings that I know, my ex-brother-in-law, was big into rugby at Indiana, played on the Indiana you know, club team, I guess. People always talk similarities, rugby and football. Are there, and what are they? 
Uh, well, we don't have enough time to talk about all that, but uh, there's quite a few similarities. Um, obviously, physical sports, collision sports, um, violence, speed, but uh, there's so many differences too. As someone who's played it at a, I would argue, a fairly high level, um, I, I see I see quite a few differences. Um, I think people see the contact and the violence and they think they're the same thing, but I mean, you know, I, I would argue that sometimes basketball can be more relatable to rugby than than football is. Um, How so? Yeah, you tell me what you want me to keep. I could talk about that for an hour just to get started. Is that right, though? The basketball is uh, is more relatable. I, I I didn't. I played basketball at Indiana. I coached it for a long thirty years. I I, I real. I've never heard that. Well. I mean, I played basketball a lot in high school and just growing up as a kid. And basketball has that free-flowing feel to it that uh, you know you 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 call a you call a set piece at the top of the key. Let's just say it's a pick and roll. You you know you've got multiple options within that 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 play where you know you could just take the shot, you could drive to the hole, the guy rolls, you could dish it to him. You kind of got to take what the defense gives you. Um, that's a lot how rugby <coughs> sorry excuse me rugby set pieces can go um you know they're kind of suggestions and then you got to take what you see i think fast breaks as well when you're running down court and it's a three on two or two on one you kind of just got to read what the what the defensive guys do and, and make the right decision in the moment and then just continue to play um rugby is exactly that so from a philosophy standpoint, they're very similar. They have very similar feels. Um, now you just don't hit anybody in basketball. So it's I wasn't as good at yeah. it. But, but football, you know, you just have this just integration of the coaches that this injection where they're just involved in every single play and every single step you take and every check and every – everything you know it's 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 much more of a chess match where we are the pawns and um you know we're out there playing the game and it's fun but um after playing rugby my whole life you know rugby basketball those are players games football is is a much more involved game with multiple phases multiple players coaches multiple coaches um there's just it's such a you know one guy in a basketball game or arguably a rugby game could just completely take over. Um, not to say it won't happen in football. Obviously, we see what the quarterbacks get paid these days. But um, just my point being, it's it's just so much more involved with so many other people that aren't playing the game. Well, let me ask you, you know, you mentioned coaches. You played for Belichick. Belichick is catching a lot of hell. A lot of people are bringing up that he's 81-95 without Tom Brady. Uh, a lot of talk about his future. Where do you see this headed with Belichick and the Patriots being an ex-Patriot? Um, you know, I don't really know. Um, I think, you know, when you look back on on the run that the Patriots had that I was fortunate enough to be a part of, you know, that was a dynasty for 20 years. And, um, you know, at some point things got to change. Now, is that now? Um, I don't know. I think it definitely changed a lot when Tom left. And I think, honestly, Bill would be the first to say that, you know, players win games. He said it all the time. Players are the ones who win games. Coaches can lose them. Um, now, players can as well, but, 
you know, it's, it's the players that go out there and do it. And um, obviously you had, you know, in my opinion, the greatest player of all time, um, you know, out there with Bill. And I think they were very complimentary in the way that they worked together. Bill was trying to push a culture forward and you had the perfect guy to do that who came in and worked extremely hard and, um, you know, paid attention to detail and put the team first and um, in Tom Brady. And, you know, on top of that, just an absolutely great player. So it, it, it worked out. Now, <clears throat> you know, it's a he's not there anymore and they got to figure out how to win games in a different way. And, um, you know, it, it hasn't really been working. So, um, you know, I don't know what the future holds. I mean, I'm not involved enough within that organization to, to sit here and tell you what Mr. Kraft is thinking or what Bill personally is thinking. You know, I can't speak for him on that, but um, I will say he will go down as one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. And uh, to get rid of, him because he's you know trying to figure out a way to win after a year or two of losing you know the best player of all time I think you know at some point you got to give the guy a little grace and, and be realistic um you know that this thing across the NFL where we bring a coach in and, and you give him a year and a half and expect this massive change um in success is is ludicrous to me I mean you go, I mean, look at the success that Dan Campbell has had with the Lions this year, right? I mean, the first year and a half of him coaching, they were awful. And then that back half of that season, they caught a really nice streak. Um, you know, you look at Josh McDaniels and, you know, he got that about year and a half, that same point, but they fire him. Um, you know, I, I had that experience with Joe Judge. We were in New York and we had a decent first year just barely missed the playoffs. And then the second year, a lot of injuries that didn't go well, you know, he gets fired. Um, Brian Dayball is a great coach, coach of the year last year. They go to the playoffs. They're having a bad year this year. Like, are we going to fire him now too? It's just, I don't know. I think it takes some time. And I think Bill's in that, that moment and it's Bill Belichick. Like he's going to find a way to win, you know? So, um, but we'll see. I mean, like I said, I can't speak for Mr. Kraft. I can't speak for that organization. What, what, on the field, you know, as, as a football player, what, what, what do you see out of Mac Jones? Like Mac Jones, everybody seems to think, he, you know, they thought enough of him, give him a first-round draft choice. What do you think of him? What's his problem? You know, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of good things to say, so I'm, I'm going to kind of not say anything. Um, <laughs> you know, that's just and, – and that's just – I think that's probably the safest thing for me to do. Um, I just don't have a lot of good things to say. So I, I'm going to choose uh, silence on that. Not um, strong. No, that's strong. I wish more people would do that. I can't do that in my job, but that's probably the way most people should live their lives. Well, I, I try to live by that. I think we got too many people that want to talk about stuff, one, they don't know about, you know, and in that regard, I'm not in that locker room. Obviously, I know the guys. Um, I'm there. I, I played a long time. I know how things work, but still, I'm just not in that locker room. So I can't really, I'm not at practice. I don't, I don't, I didn't know the route concept. I didn't know the checks they may or may not have made. I think we just, you know, you can look at a throw and say it's bad, but you know, we don't know everything that was involved that one against the Colts at the end though, man, that was, 
that hurt. I mean, I just don't under I don't understand how that ball's not on the back back line of the end zone. But here I am talking more than I wanted to, so I'm gonna stop. Well, that means I'm a great interviewer. There you go, man. That means that I'm yeah. doing my job. But, you know, there's a saying in basketball, and, I, and it's a saying, you know, in basketball, when you throw a pass like Jones threw, uh, we, you always throw it long. If you're going to miss, you miss long. Because what happens if you miss long, the ball goes out of bounds. In basketball, if you miss short, nine out of ten times, it's stolen, and it's a fast break down the other side. A pass like that, you throw it short, it's intercepted. You know, and that's, that, that translates to any – any sport. You played in this game, uh, Michigan, Ohio State. You played, I, you know, every guy that's ever played in it knows that it's the most intense rivalry, maybe in sports. I mean, you can go anywhere, anytime, any place. And what's your best memory out of playing for Ohio State against Michigan? Well, first, I just want to go back and say Bill's not coaching him to throw that ball short. So. There you go. I mean, is that, right. is that neither is his, neither neither is the offensive coordinator, and neither right, is the exactly. quarterback. So, I mean, how much can like, like he said, like I said earlier, like players win games. So, um, back to to the rivalry though, man. I, it's um, it's crazy, man. I don't even know where to begin. I grew up playing on the junior national rugby team. I didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't play. Uh, I didn't play football in high school and uh, I was playing on our, our national rugby team across the world. And, um, you know, I came in, I walked onto Ohio state and I mean, I knew it was Ohio state. I had gone to school there, but like, you know, first of all, go, going out and playing in front of the, that fan base was nuts. And then, you know, all year long, you hear about Michigan all year long. Right. And then you finally get the opportunity to play in that game. And it's just, it's so big, you know, there's so much hype around it. I, there's nothing like it. You know, I, when I went to the NFL, I, I never thought I'd find a fan base that was even close to what Ohio state is. And I ended up in new England, which I was wrong about that. And like the new England fans are nuts. Obviously we were really good. Gave them a lot of reason to be nuts, but you know, with that being said, there is no game that you play, even with the rivalry with the jets or any other teams in the AFC East or even like we had with, you know, Kansas City and Denver at times. But like there's no game like this that's played, you know, every year. And it's it just it's so important. Both teams are usually pretty good at the end. And, you know, the weight of the season hangs on this one game. It's uh, it's a lot of pressure. And uh, to be a part of it, it is really special. But at the end of the day, like, you know, allowing that moment to become bigger than a football game, and that's where you start to get in trouble. You know, it's 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 a fine line between, you know, playing out of your mind because it's this big moment, this big game, and you need your best, and then making that moment too big, and then you get tight. I mean, Coach Cooper, I think the biggest mistake a lot of Ohio State fans would say was he said this game is, is another game on on the schedule. And I think – you know, that gets misinterpreted because, you know, I think he's trying to like de-escalate the intensity of all the hype surrounding this game with the fan base and, and the universities and, and the media. And, you know, he wants his players to realize like, you got to go out and play a good football game, you know, regardless. And, um, you know, I, I see w what he meant by that, but you can't do that here at Ohio State because this game means so much. So, um, 
you know, it's, it's cool to be a part of. I have some really good memories of it. Um, you know, luckily I was a part of, um, I was only at Ohio state for three years and, uh, two of those three years I got, I got a set of gold pants, uh, cause we stomped them and, uh, we lost a really close one in Michigan my senior year when we, you know, had all the, uh, tattoo scandal and, you know, all the stuff that would be completely, uh, waved off and no one would even think twice about today with the NIL and stuff. So it's crazy, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was lucky to be a part of some good teams and then I won a lot of money, uh, you know, those years to follow, you know, being in the NFL against Michigan guys, I've got, I've got the greatest picture I would argue of all time with Tom Brady, um, doing the OHIO. You know, I won so much money off of Tom. I got to a point where I said, Tom, we got to do something, you know, you know, better than this. We were doing pictures with him in Ohio State gear. And finally, you know, you had myself and John Simon from Ohio State and you had Chase Winovich and Tom from Michigan. And, you know, my my bet was if we win, we're doing the OHIO. And um, I got a couple of those signed, too. So it's, it's, you know, the greatest player of all time who went to Michigan doing the OHIO. I got it signed. I mean, it is it's priceless to me. So, um, yeah, great rivalry. Great to be a part of as a player. And obviously, you know, as an alumni that played there and going through the NFL, there's been some some good memories. But uh, things have gotten pretty tight here these last couple of years. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm really excited to see how how it goes. This is a big one this year, obviously, like it is every year, but even more so as an Ohio State fan with how things have gone the last few. You've run onto the field at the Super Bowl, multiple Super Bowls. You've run on the field multiple uh, big games comparable. Um, I think it's similar in that, in that feel, I would, I would say the Ohio state Michigan game is more emotional. I mean, it's, it's easy to get emotional in the, in the super bowl too, I guess, but you know, I have a jaded viewpoint. I haven't played in three of them after the first one, you kind of know what it's about and you got to handle your business. You know, you got to, like like having an, as a player having too much emotion is just you know like it can be a detriment big time you know um it can cloud you you know having a clear mind while you're in the moment is like the best thing ever and getting fogged by emotion is can be like i said a huge detriment so um definitely comparable um but i would say more emotional arguably yeah, you know, I mean, this is – both are great, and congratulations on doing all that. I mean, God dang, I mean, it's a great, you know, comparison, right? I mean, it's a great thing. You're Jewish. Yeah. Lots going on. My family, yeah. uh, my sister-in-law, Jewish. My nieces and nephews are Jewish. Uh, what is your take, whether it's the NFL or across the country, on, on what is going on to Jewish people in this country with Hamas and the slaughter of 14, over 1,400 Jewish folks in Israel? Well, I think it's terrible. I mean, I think, I think it's terrible. And I think, you know, as a country, like, we need to stick with, with Israel and, um, you know, do our best to support them. I, I think with what's going on here, it's, you know, I mean, it's 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 the world versus terrorists, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think I hate that we are just interjecting, like we're just correlating Hamas and Palestine as one. Like the Palestinians are, are Palestinians, and, and the Israelis are Israelis, and they've been fine together for 
a long time. I mean, this is a terrorist group that is, is doing, you know, raping and murdering innocent people. And, and if you see it as anything other than that, you're justifying the act of terrorism. And, um, you know, we, we let that go. I think we're on a slippery slope uh, without there being consequences to, to actions like that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm in support of Israel, obviously being Jewish. I, I think, um, you know, anti-Semitism is 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 a terrible thing. Obviously, if we look back in our history, we've we've seen you know what the what the Jews have gone through, and um, but they they continue to to push forward and 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 be seen. And um, I'm, you know, I'm proud to be Jewish. I just think overall, whether it be anti-Semitism, racism, whatever you want to call it, just like it, it's the hate is 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 so pointless I, I don't understand it um you know I, I really don't at the end of the day I think it's just kind of like a good versus evil and in this situation like I said we're talking more uh, about terrorism and the good must prevail or you know we're in a we're on a slippery slope so appreciate your time man appreciate your words on that thanks Nate yeah no worries it's Nate Ebner he look great soccer player Walks on at Ohio State. I mean, think about what kind of guy, what a great guy Nate is. He walks on at Ohio State, next thing you know, plays in the big game, wins two of them, goes to three Super Bowls with Tom Brady all from walking on at Ohio State. I mean, do you know how hard that is? Do you know how impossible that is? Oh, man. Rugby. What I say? Ruby? Soccer. Rugby, rugby, rugby. Damn, man, oh man, what in the Sam hell is wrong with me? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get to some bets here and some picks in a little bit. I had a brutal night last night. I just had a brutal night. I mean, I've been on fire. I need the sack attack to save me. He saved me a little bit yesterday, but I, I ventured out on my own. And I liked Kansas yesterday. And then the pick came in from the sack attack. Marquette, take Marquette plus five and a half. My heart skipped a beat knowing that going out on my own, it was just, it was Black Tuesday. What is it, Black Friday coming up? It was Black Tuesday yesterday, and I need help. But first, what the hell Wednesday? Do we have an open for that? I don't know if we do. Do we have an open for what the hell Wednesday? I don't, I don't think so. But I'll go anyway, man. Oh, there it is. I knew that we did. Ah, there it is. Yeah. We get them all in there. All right. Hey, how about an Alabama woman with two uteruses? She got two uteri. Is that uteri? I think that's two uteri. An Alabama woman with two uteruses is pregnant with twins, one in each womb. Speaking of betting, the doctors are calling it a 1 in 50 million chance. I want you to think about that. A 1 in 50 million shot. First off, who wants two uteruses? I guess this Alabama woman. Weird things happen in Appalachia. Oh, that's not Appalachia. The Deep South. Weird things happen in Appalachia, too. Anyway, good for her, baby. Look, I'm all in. Hey, if I'm a woman... Give me two kids. I, I wanted. I got two uterus. Let's put them together. Let's work it out. Let's make sure we get it done, and let's pop out a couple of kids. I mean, God gave me two uteri, so I'm going to use the uteri, 
and I'm going to use them both. Don't just use one uterus when two shall do. How about that? Yeah. I'm all in. I like it. Uh, Keep it going. Don't be afraid. Pop both of those kids out. It's a one in 50 million deal. Now, I must also say, uh, does that hurt? Like, does that, I'm going to read a little bit more of this to you so that you understand what in the hell is going on. She's blessed and grateful for the rare pregnancy. She was 17 when she learned that she had two uteruses. 15 years later, she's 32 years old. She's a fitness coach. She has three kids. But I was having minor complications that led us to an OBG appointment. Upon examination, they discovered it. Known as uterus dysplasia, her condition only affects, listen to this, 0.3% of the population. Essentially, the uteri are the size of one split in half. She had normal pregnancies with the first three. And now she's got the double uterus. Oh, my goodness. There's another one in there is what she screamed out. And there are two. That, ladies and gentlemen, is pretty damn cool in my humble opinion. See, women are awesome. You know what a dude would do? A dude would crap himself. Guys can't even have two fingernails that are out of place or or hurting or whatever. I don't know. Hey, how about this? This is shocking. Oh, man. Lula, you hush. A drunk, shirtless Florida man was arrested after shoveling spaghetti into his mouth. Dude shows up in Naples at the Olive Garden, and he got arrested for shoveling spaghetti in his mouth. He was causing a disturbance. They found this guy. His name is, uh, what's his name? Ben Pageant, shirtless, near the front door, sitting on a bench, shoveling spaghetti in his mouth. He was asking people for money, and then he would tell people, I'll beat your ass. That's right. When an employee went back inside, he followed him in, and asked the employee what kind of genitals he has. Then when they put him in the cuffs, he started twisting his body and kicking. Hey, yo, what kind of genitals you got? (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I've been drunk, but I hopefully have never been that drunk. He was charged with disorderly intoxication and resisting arrest. How about we have... uh, you know, there's a RICO Act, racket, something, corruption, whatever, all right, organization, whatever, which basically says we can charge all these things under one statute, and it basically puts mob guys in jail for life. I think we should have a stupid act where we just say, look, the level of stupid is such that um, now I've had enough. We've, we've just had enough. It's over. We just had enough. Hey, we're still in Florida, ladies and gentlemen. This time we're on the other side. Daytona Beach Shore is in Florida, which is on the east side. The ocean side, not the Gulf side. Uh, Florida police officers were told by a Florida man that he was teaching a live alligator a lesson. He had stolen a live alligator from a miniature golf course, and he threw it on top of a beachside cocktail lounge. Officials spotting him attempted to throw the gator onto the roof of a cocktail lounge just off the highway. They saw the man take the alligator by the tail. 
hit it against the awning of the building, throw it on the ground, stomp on it twice. Guy's from Homestead, Florida. He was charged with possession and injury of an alligator. The man told the officer he had stolen the alligator from an enclosure at a nearby miniature golf course, and he was trying to teach it a lesson by throwing it on the roof. You know, when you go to Florida and you hang out, you, you guys, you don't just get drunk and maybe show up in the wrong home or you don't get drunk and act inappropriate with the bartender or the waitress or the next door neighbor or you guys do some seriously weird stuff. You do. I mean, look, I mean, women get drunk all the time and used to hit on me like it was my job. Nothing wrong with that. But don't be throwing an alligator on my roof. Hey, another drugged out man, listen to this, gets naked, bites off a chunk of human flesh. Where are we at? Where do you think we are? We're in Miami. All right, listen to this. Good Lord, maybe this is becoming a trend. Following the Maui, Miami zombie attack, yet another Florida man got high, got naked, and got cannibalistic in that order. Police had to taser a 26-year-old man named Charles Baker after he stormed into his girlfriend's house and bit a chunk out of her. Yeah. Bit the chunk out of a bicep of a dude who was hitting on or being around his girlfriend. Yeah. At about 10 o'clock, this guy Baker stormed into the house where her, his girlfriend and children live. He was high on an unknown substance, barged into the house, took off his clothes, cursing, screaming, throwing furniture. Jeffrey Blake, who lives in the house, tried to restrain Baker, and Baker struggled and bit Blake. He didn't just bite him. He took a chunk of meat out of his left bicep. Even with part of his arm now chewed off, Blake restrained Baker on the ground until the sheriff showed. Man, he continued screaming, wanted to fight the officers, so they did what they had to do, which take out a stun gun, and go all, I don't know, what's the right show, hangover on him, and stun his drunken, stupid, cannibalistic ass. Don't be a cannibal. Like I said, this, fall down. Take a nap. I don't know. Get sexy with your wife. I mean, I don't know. All right, listen to this. A man is accused of robbing a victim who refused to buy this guy chicken mac, no, not chicken mac nuggets. Chicken nuggets, guess where? Florida. Uh -huh. Miami, Southern Florida man is facing a host of charges after police said he robbed at gunpoint the stranger who declined to buy him chicken nuggets. John Earl Taylor approached the victim as he exited his car, asked if he could buy nuggets for him. Guy told Taylor, no, he only had enough money for his own purchase and walked into the fast food restaurant. When the victim emerged from the Wendy's, Taylor again approached the man. This time, he was packing heat. This time, he had a semi-automatic handgun with an extended magazine. He demanded the victim's gold chain, car keys, and his food. Wow. All right. McNuggets from Wendy's, I've never had them. McNuggets from McDonald's make you puke. But I like everything, Wendy's. I don't think it's worth bringing out the semi-automatic Glock with the extended thing on it. Let's not kill people over the Mac Nuggets. Damn it. I don't need to die over the Chicken Mac Nuggets. I got some emails coming up. We'll be right back.
We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Got to wish everybody as often as I can a happy Thanksgiving. This is the last half hour of this week as we all take a little break and celebrate Thanksgiving. I got my King's hat back on. I need a little some juice. I need some juice. I really struggled yesterday, and then I doubled down. And usually when I double down, it wins. I went again. I didn't go against the sack, man. I Well, I did, but I went before he gave me Marquette plus five and a half, and it just crushed my soul. All right. Let's do it. Let's go to emails and voicemails, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do it. All right. This comes from our cash man, Tom Allen, the Indiana head coach, as was not qualified to be the head coach in Indiana when he was hired. He would have never gotten a job if Kevin Wilson had not been forced out in the manner he was fired. you got to remember, Kevin Wilson was doing some pretty interesting things offensively, made Indiana interesting, but he was mean to a pain-in-the-ass wide receiver who recruited other pain-in-the-ass wide receivers that had quit, and Fred Glass at the time, uh, America's most wimpy whatever, uh, athletic director, gave in to clowns and fired Kevin Wilson. They made Tom Allen the head coach. Everybody cheered. Yay, rah, go fight, win. Next thing you know, Indiana has a good pandemic year, and it has been one Big Ten win since that. I think it's two. However, IU had three eight-win seasons under Bill Mallory, whose final year was 1996. Listen to this ineptness at my school. They've had one eight-win season since 1996 and finished above 500 only three times since Mallory, and that includes bowl games. IU football has a culture of losing, and it will take a special person to change that. I have told you this before. I will tell you again. Terry Claypax, vice president of the university, received a phone call from me whenever they hired Jerry DiNardo. I said, you've got to hire this guy, Urban Meyer. Best coach I've seen for the modern player. Bob Knight was the best coach I saw back in the day. Urban Meyer, best coach I ever saw for the modern player. And he patted me on the head. Well, little Danny, he didn't really pat me on the head. He verbally did. It was a phone conversation. We have our guy. That guy, Jerry DiNardo. All right, El Presidente is chiming in. Sean Black. From the Cleveland area, he has a wonderful girlfriend. She's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Here's the deal. You ready? Dan, I'm going to go ring shopping soon for my girlfriend. I plan on proposing near Lake Erie during the summer. Should I wait until the summer or should I bump it up near Christmas? We won't be living together until April, so that's why I'd prefer to wait until summer when we'd have been together for around two years. What are your thoughts? I'll tell you my thoughts. There's never a bad time to propose. It's when you feel it. Look, I told my son this the other day. I was like, he's got a girlfriend. I'm like, are you getting married? That's ah, not a good time. There's never a good time. There's never a perfect time in life. I proposed to Lee uh, at Christmas in Gibson's because I was feeling it. I was. I was feeling the deal, baby. 
And you know what? I screwed some things up. I really, I didn't tell my kids I was doing it. I don't know what's wrong with me sometimes. I proposed after a trip we all had gone on at Christmas. And then I flew home. Lee was in Chicago. I met her in Chicago. We went to Gibson's. I got down on one knee in the restaurant, proposed. People clapped. We went across the street afterwards to Carmine's in a tiramisu. Why did I do it, Sean? Because it felt right. I wasn't living with Lee. In fact, I would argue that it makes it easier for your girlfriend to explain, not necessarily that she has to, but maybe be more comfortable when you move in in April if you are engaged. I think it'd be great to do it around Christmas, but I think it'd be great to do it tomorrow. That's just how I look at it. There's never a perfect time. What we think is a perfect time, okay, really never is. And what we think isn't a perfect time usually is just fine. So if I were you, me personally, I'd do it when I felt best about it. If you feel it's best to do it in the summer, fine. But I will also tell you, when you're going to get engaged, you want to make sure that it is not about you. You want to look at things a little bit long term. Would she be more comfortable, Sean, if she could say to her mother, father, I don't know your family situation, that, hey, look, we got engaged and we're going to move in. I think that'd be great. Now, the other side of that is like, hey, wait a second here. Life changes when you move in with a woman or you move in with a guy. It just changes. You're with them every day. You're not used to this. Some insecurities go away. Some come. It's just weird. Trust me on this. But I would say do it when the moment strikes you. Christmas, how could you go wrong? Summertime by Lake Erie, you can't go wrong. But I'm just telling you, as a father, if my daughter got engaged and then moved in with the dude, I would feel much better about it. But I'm weird. I lived with my first wife before we were engaged. I'm just weird about it. Do it whenever this moment strikes. Neither are bad. My two cents. All right. Derek from Massachusetts, he's like, hey, it'll never matter who your head coach is in professional football if you don't have a top-tier heavy-hitting quarterback. Sure, a good coach might get a good team over the hill, but they never move much for, for a bad team. Take a look at how good LaFleur is with Green Bay and Rodgers is gone. Does Harbaugh or Belichick to the Chargers make much sense? Chargers have a plethora of talent, but zero leadership under their belt. Neither one of these coaches are going to teams like the Bears or the Commanders. It'll be 100% more impactful if either one of them head to the Chargers. I don't disagree with you, Derek. I don't disagree with you at all. Like, I hear people say Harbaugh is going to go to the Raiders. Why? I mean, Aiden O'Connell? Is that why you're going to the Raiders? You want to coach Aiden O'Connell? You're hoping Jimmy G gets healthy? Is that what you're doing? Okay. Or are you going to go coach Justin Herbert with a pretty good guy in Tom Telesco as the general manager? You tell me. No, you're making perfect sense. But here's the caveat in it. How good's Justin Fields? Like, I saw Justin Fields play the other day. Now, they lost uh, to the Detroit Lions, but they didn't lose because of Justin Fields. Justin Fields looked like a top-tier NFL quarterback. Obviously, that must be built upon. What they call it in football is you got to stack days. I guess they call that in basketball, too. You got to stack days, stack days, stack days, stack days to be a great football player. But I'll tell you this, if I were looking at being a head coach in the NFL, Justin Fields, as my quarterback, I got to tell you, I'm not hating that option. I'm not at all. I'm not in love with it. I think I'd rather have Herbert, 
But I got to know about Herbert's insides. That's what I want. I want this. I want to know what's in his insides. I know he's got great hair. I know he's got a great arm. I know he's played well at different times. What's his insides? Why isn't this team well-led? I'd have to know that. Uh, Gritty says, hey, Dan, when is OutKick going to have a don't at me gear, koozies, hats, etc. on their website? I need to buy Christmas presents. Hometown anonymous. Too many weirdos out there. That's exactly right. Gritty's smart. Gritty doesn't want her name. Her name's not Jen and her name's not Gritty. But every time she puts her real name out there, you weirdos come around. You're doing this. Like, I don't understand how women that put their name, their bodies all over the place don't have a bunch of creeps hanging around them. Like, I look at it, I say something bad about Michigan State, and guess what? I got some Michigan State dude showing up at my daughter's work. You know that lady, Rebecca, who was in charge of the Mel Tucker investigation when it came out in USA Today? She had a crazed, she had to bring a gun to the door. She had a crazed Michigan State fan show up at her door. You don't mess with Rebecca. I know Rebecca. You mess with my sister, you mess with Rebecca, you are going to get a cap in your ass. And Michigan State fan almost did. All right, hang on, caller. We got some people here. Uh Uh-oh, our favorite voicemail guy, 24-inch Doubleicious. Hey, by the way, I am going to get a OutKick store going after. uh, I'll try to get it this week. I'll try to get it at at BSN Sports by the end of this week or by the next week. Uh, It's Thanksgiving. Next week, I'll try to get a BSN store, uh, OutKick store, certainly for all of your don't at me gear. Uh, 24-inch dubs, let's hear from them. Dan, this is 24-inch dubs. Can you explain to me how the NFL refuses to flex games now? I had to sit through locally the GD Jets and Bills game with nothing else on. That game was terrible. What What is going on? Flex the games. What are we doing? It's 2023. I'm out. There are two things that I would say about that. We live in a world where this time of year, you absolutely got to flex games. Look, I, 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 I saw the same thing. I had that game. Look, I, I'm with you. I don't have an answer. The other thing is I don't understand Major League Baseball and NBA basketball and their blackout policies. If you can explain that to me, I don't understand it even a little bit. I honestly don't. Like, TV drives attendance. You can say it doesn't. The NFL for years had a blackout policy if you didn't sell out your tickets. Look, stop it. Just stop it. The the Chicago Blackhawks for years and years and years showed their road games on Channel 9. For years and years and years didn't show their home games. Then all of a sudden, they started showing their home games. People are like, wow, what a great environment. They've sold out every game for however long. Rocky Wirtz came in, took over from his dad, Bill Wirtz, and next thing you know, I don't understand. I don't understand here in Indianapolis, people cannot watch the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers are fun. Hell, they scored 52 or 50, what, 57 points, 157 points last night. They won 157 to 152. It's even hard to say. The over-under was about 250. They scored over 300. 
But people in Indiana can't watch them. I can because I have Comcast. But most other of the cable stations, the cable companies, don't take the Pacers. Bally's doesn't. They don't take Bally's. It's idiotic. I wish I had an answer. This time of year, every game should be flexed. But you know what they're going to say? 24-inch dubs. If you live on the East Coast, you're going to get East Coast teams. And it's just unfortunate. The East Coast teams suck. Jerry from Kentucky, what say you? Dan Dockage. My name is Jerry Wheat. I live on Otter Creek Road in Kentucky. I met you about five or eight years ago in the Bahamas where Kentucky was playing basketball. But I'm going to go off on Mark Stoops. We started out 5-0 and Kentucky Wildcats. We're 1-5 cents. He makes $9 million a year, and he can't adjust to shit. We got a quarterback who couldn't throw it through a Walmart door. And here we are now fighting for a life to get a bowl bid. We should have been at least eight and four. Should have beat Missouri. Should have beat South Carolina. But here we are paying this cat $9 million and we can't get out of our own way. We can't score. We can't stop nobody from score. We lead the country in penalties. We got the slowest parade downs in football we, we run the clock down to five four three two one and try to get a playoff i'm sick of it i'm a cat fan we need to fire mark stoops and hire somebody up here can run the damn offense up in here and get some stuff going sean govins Otter creek for life good night there you go. From the hollers in Kentucky, Jerry, and I thank you for the phone call. See, I love a passion. Like, you guys are on the chat saying, who is this guy? This guy has passion. I don't even know if he's real, but I like him. All right, I heard a genius called in the other day, smartest man in America. Let's hear from Dan in Indianapolis. Hey, Doc, it's, I don't like what you're talking about with Indiana basketball. You seem to be a hater. Look, you played there 100 years ago. Your team sucked. As a senior, you were the captain. Go to hell away, support Mike Woodson, and kiss my ass, Dockage. Hey, look, it's fair. I don't know. I mean, I, I look, I don't mind a good ripping. Yeah. That's the kind of voicemails I like right there. Uh, smart people giving smart takes. Dan from Indianapolis never, ever, ever disappoints. But I'll tell you something. This Dan from Indianapolis is a freaking genius years ago. I told you that Shaq Leonard had a very, 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 very small shelf life in the NFL. A 215-pound linebacker in the middle. Middle linebacker wasn't going to last, knocking the living hell, getting that living hell knocked out of him by big old 315, 320-pound lineman. It just wasn't going to work. And certainly it did for a little bit. He was a turnover machine. He'd get in front of the ball. He would get it done. And by the way, you can hear from us or you can get to us, 929-687-3941 or outkickdockage at gmail.com. Look, I'm not happy Darius Leonard is out with the Colts. I'm not, but it was inevitable. Got a back injury, had some damage in, it, in some nerves. It was just simply the way this was going to go. It's physics. I know we don't think 
biology is accurate or we don't trust science anymore, but you can trust this. 330 pounds coming at you from three or four different directions, front and each sides, and sometimes from the back, is going to eventually wear out a 215 to 220 pound linebacker, and it did. The Colts made the not-so-stunning move of getting rid of him. I'd been told that this was something that not necessarily was going to happen, but he was going to start being a healthy scratch because his production went down as his health did not get much better. The other day, apparently on Monday after film, he was brought in, told he was going to be a healthy scratch. Next day, yesterday, they decided enough is enough. And they got rid of him. Sad for the kid because he seemed like a nice kid. But I also said this during Hard Knocks. You could tell that, man, just being around that dude was a lot. Being around that dude was enough. It also shows you this. I thought about this today. You know, when you get cut in the NFL, most of your money, it's over. So NFL guys, you go from being the top dog. He was talking about how he was a leader in the locker room. And to his credit, he gives out turkeys at Thanksgiving, and he was scheduled to do it yesterday, and he met his obligation. Good for Darius. I'm sorry, Shaq. I was screwed that up. Shaq Leonard. But the fact of the matter is his days were over. Hopefully he can get back in the league, but more hopefully he figures out how to use his personality because he has a great one, and he ends up doing something better than football. But more along with that, I hope he saved his money because let's be honest. Let's be honest, man. Uh... Money goes quick. I mean, I mean, hey, you guys think NFL players make all this money, and he did. But remember, 52% on, uh, cents on every dollar gone, at least according to my friend Isaiah Thomas when he was head of the NBA Players Association. Anyway, breaking news. Breaking news. This is from the sack, man. We're taking Northern Iowa plus 12 and a half. We're buying the hook versus the Tar Heels. This is a put your mortgage on the play. Ding, 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 ding. Breaking news from the sack man. Bing, 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 bing. I'm sending it to my peeps. Breaking news. Northern Iowa plus 12 and a half. This is a mortgage bet. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, North Carolina's got that big Baycott. I don't even care who they got. When this comes in from Phil Sack, you know what we do? We do what I'm doing right here. We don't ask questions. We just go to the website. Period. Period. We just do. We just do. Uh, let's see here. What did I miss? Uh, we got Woke Dope coming up. Like, subscribe. Outkick, I'm going to say it again for you. This is a mortgage type of a bet. Mortgage the home bet. What are you doing bet? Mortgage it. Put it with parlays. That's right. Put it on there. Don't be afraid. Or be afraid. I don't know. Do whatever you want to do. But that's in from the sack man, the great Phil Sack. How about them apples? How about them berries? Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be a great weekend of gambling, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm getting started right now. The comeback has begun. The great Phil Sack. How much sack do I have? Now that's the question. Do I have enough sack to put enough on it that I'm back in business? Probably not. Thank you, Phil Sack. All right, let's woke it up because I have to go potty. 
Knock, knock, who's there? Who's where? <laughs> I got to tell you, Joe Biden jokes will never get old. Did you see this? That Trump's guy uh, says, yeah, look, uh, Biden's cognitive abilities have slipped so far. This is, a, you know, this is probably the best doctor for this kind of stuff in the world. There's no way he can run again. Oh, shush! Dang it! Hey, can we erase the last few minutes? It's the sack attack! Yeah! Damn it! Shit! No names, no names, no names. Knock, knock, who's there? Who's where? Huh? Next! I get excited. I do. I get, I get excited. Oh, man. No mean tweets. Poor foreign policy. High gas prices. Rising inflation. I would put crippling inflation. And Biden voters are pulling it out. They're saying no more. We're not doing it. Next! (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, there were so many things on Twitter about this. There were so many things about, hey, how how much of the world is this guy set on fire? Huh? How much? Including his own cake. Look at that thing. The entire world is going up in flames, and this clown is out there with a big fire. It's too easy. He puts it on a table. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I'll have bets out all weekend, but the truth of the matter is this. Northern Iowa, the sack attack, plus 12 and a half. Spend a little money. Buy the extra point. Go to the mattresses on this one, will you please? Go to the mattresses. Put it in whatever you want. But take the, take the minus 135 to win yourself 100. 100 pays for Thanksgiving dinner. So make sure you do that. I don't always run, but when I do, I run to the bathroom. What a great crew. Nick, Nick too. Have a great Thanksgiving. Dylan and Ryan, have an awesome Thanksgiving. Haley and Katie, Beth the Booker, you guys are awesome. Aaron. Thank you so much. Hope you guys all, Gary, and of course, Clay, the owner. Have a great, great Thanksgiving. Fellas, I would love to talk to you. I would love to keep this going. But hey, my Thanksgiving starts right now.